Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. Today I'm here with my guest, David Bellos. Say hi, David. Hi, everyone. And you'll have to get closer to the mic, David. Uh, before we get started, I thought I'd uh, remind you folks that uh, later this month we are going to do a cold call camp. It will be on Tuesday, I believe June 26th. That's all day. Uh mention you've uh, heard about the Cold Call Camp on the radio show, and you get a $100 free discount. Uh, this will teach you how to get by gatekeepers. Uh, we'll build three scripts for the contact, and we'll give you at least five different methods to break other people's voicemail so they have to call you back. The last couple of hours of the Cold Call Camp will actually make cold calls to real-life prospects, record them, and then debrief them. Uh, a phenomenal value at five ninety five, but for my listeners, four ninety five. Uh, let me talk a, a little bit about uh, David Bellows. You know, I met David Bellows when I owned a company in California that was distributing privately owned pay telephones. That was probably in nineteen eighty five, maybe nineteen eighty six. That's correct. And uh you're dating us, Mike. Well, we've we've just been active in business. I had I had this little business, we were distributing the payphones and uh David came along out to California and he said he had a, a better mousetrap or payphone as the case may be. And I don't know whether I bought a hundred of them or a thousand of them. We put them in and they didn't work right. That's what I remember. And David came out to California, he said, Don't worry, we'll make we'll make it right, we'll take care of it. Good thing it's radio because my face is really turning red. And I didn't like it that they didn't work. And David dragged me out to the factory in the middle of Minnesota somewhere. Malacca, Minnesota. Malacca. And so we get to the factory, and the guy is manufacturing radioactive uh, surgical staplers. And they had these big radioactive signs. I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing here? And anyway, David uh, sold me a whole lot more phones. And I didn't know what the heck was happening. Why was I buying these phones from this guy that didn't work so great? Only to discover, you know, 20 years later, when I, not maybe 20 years later, but 1992 when I came to Cincinnati, that David was Sandler trained. He was using the Sandler process on me. I didn't even know it. Uh, but it's great to have you here with us today, David. Actually, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Mike, and I've sort of watched... Uh, your training business grow 
And um, to me, going going without training in anything, especially in the sales game today, is going to do a dive out of a out of a plane without a parachute. Yeah, uh, it, it's 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 imperative in faith. We got a smarter buyer. We got an educated consumer. They got a multitude of research available to them on the net. So the edge is is a well trained person. Right. Uh, you know, instead of being a professional visitor. Right. A professional visitor or professional guest doesn't work out. And uh, being the most knowledgeable about your product or all the products in your field only sets you up to be an unpaid consultant. And and that doesn't work. But a little bit more about David's background. Uh, he ran a start of the company called Tyrone Lighting. Uh, We'd use TLI. It's easier for people. TRI. TLI. TLI. Tyrone Lighting. Inc. Inc. And uh, you started that in what year, David? 1980. Yeah, 1980. And you you were building uh, lamp fixtures in Fairfield, Ohio, uh, from components that you imported and sourced from China and other places. Well, not so much in the 80s. Uh, we were a strict American manufacturer, and today still the contents in our product are 60% and over. Uh, to conform with the Buy in America acts in lighting. But what we were doing, we were the first ones in the country to develop energy-saving lighting using compact fluorescence. We would convert exit signs from 40 watts down to 6 watts and sell on a break-even, offer our prospects 100% return on investment uh, within two years, so 50% return on our money, and that's what we sold on. Okay, that might take a little bit of explanation. We'll, we'll come back to that. No problem. Remind me. Uh, so, recently, you sold the lighting company. Mm-hmm. That was interesting because uh, we started it. You know, we started with uh, three people and we sold it. We had close to sixty-one or sixty-two people. Um, we had one hundred and ten sales agents across the country. And we were we had a brand, and we were in all the electrical distributors. A very another family-run company called Kitcher Lighting in uh, Ohio also was a residential lighting, and they thought they saw a value in us because we were a platform into the commercial business. And it was the, probably the hardest decision ever to make. It wasn't a sales decision; it was a personal decision. And what you deal with when you sell something that you actually, you know, if born. Um, you know, you go back and forth. Was it the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? But the decision was made, and we sold it. And uh, that—that's that, how it stands. So. Now you said we sold it. Did you have any partners? Or? No, but my brother worked with me for uh, the last twelve years, and it was a we. It was a team, and every everyone involved from was aware of what we were doing, and we came to the best conclusion. And it was really a good move for all our people because with the advent of what's going on in the industry and the resources that are now available to the company, it's already proving that it was a good decision. Okay, so your brother and all the employees are still employed. Part of um, the foresight on the company that, that purchased us was that they knew the value of the people and they knew the value of keeping a team intact. 
So it wasn't that hard of a sale. They even kept, which most people like to economize, you know, the back office. We still mm-hmm. have our own back office, and we run autonomously. So really the only thing that's changed is the ownership structure. Okay. And some of my perks. <laughs> yeah. You got better perks. You know, some of my benefits. Uh, just perks. Yeah. No, okay. And they kept they kept you around as a consultant. Kept me around to um, for whatever value I can bring over the uh, thirty years of running the company. Good. Let's back up for a little bit for the folks, sure. David, and tell us tell everyone how you got into sales and what your first product was and what what happened to you before micro lighting. I thought you want to grow your listenership. You're going to bore the people. But well, give them five if, minutes. If, if you insist, I mean, uh, the Cliff Notes version, right? Cliff Notes version, yes. Well, I graduated college, and uh, I'm going to date myself, Mike, but uh, 1974. And it was the height of another recession. And um, I went to a college called Northwood University, and they usually place about 90-something percent of the graduates, and because they didn't, I was one of them that didn't get placed, that 10%. And I went and, I went to a business school. I graduated with two degrees, um, automotive marketing degree and, and a BA in business. And I said to myself, I'm going to go into sales. I started out selling one-call close advertising on a telephone book cover. Probably most people don't remember, but they are vinyl cover that went over a telephone book and it was an ad. It was a $650 close. Either buy or you die right there. We close right there and we have to get a deposit right there. So we walk down the street calling on every retailer and we fill up the cover in each area. And that really taught me more about sales than anything I could possibly do because the, the rejection, going in and out, making 20, 25 calls a day, uh, but it was quite profitable because you would get 20% of the uh, of the ad, and you collected that was your deposit, so you'd get paid every single day. So if you were selling $650 ad, and you got 20%, you know that was quite a substantial commission every day. So it behooved you to go out and get a payday every single day. Then I had a, a health problem, so I had to stop doing that. But before that, my first year, I was 110% over quota, won a trip to the Super Bowl, met my mentor, Jim Martin, who is also Sandler trained, and then started selling signs. Carried around a 75-pound sign in the back of your car. You walked into a, a business, and he said, how would you like to buy an advertising machine? <laughs> you could change this every single day. You know, you want to run a sale, you put it in your window, it had lights go around it. That was a $275 close right there. You don't go back. Um, uh, one call, and the deposit was $75. So you could make $75 a day. And my goal was to make $150 a day. And did that for a solid year because it gets really, really I don't want to say old, but you gotta you just run out of stores to pop in, even though know, I was living in Chicago, plus all the people that have signs. So then um I told you Mike, you wanna you want We want the cliff notes version. Here's the cliff notes version. Then I met a guy traveling around just before stop selling signs and when they had those days traveler hotels where all salesmen would go and at night there'd be a bar, you know, there were no courtyards or anything. And he showed me this interesting thing. It was called a mini flusher. You stick it in the toilet. It saves two and a half gallons per flush. I said, this is great selling water saving. 
you know, you could save 20 to 40 percent on a bill. I said, I live in Chicago. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna sell all these high rises. So I, st I, I bought the area for Illinois. I think it was like 1,200 bucks, and I was paying two dollars and 75 cents for the, for the unit that would go inside the toilet. It was two dams, saved three gallons of flush, and uh, took my inventory, which was like 1,200 pieces, and started walking down the street selling the high rises sold a lot of high-rises in Chicago, and, the, and this gentleman who owned the Harbor Management Company, was called at the time, said, David, we really like you, but you know, all our toilets are sold. And by the way, my hands, Mike, have been in some of the finest toilets in <laughs> Chicago. He goes, why don't you get, so, see this guy in Elk Grove, Illinois, he was building light fixtures. Mm -hmm. And he sent me out there, he goes, because we're going to buy him for all our stairwells. And he goes, go look at that, and if you can be a distributor, I'll buy them from you. So I said, okay. Went out there and got fascinated with what lighting was. Mm -hmm. Because everywhere you go, you look up, everything has to be lit. There's food, clothing, and shelter, and then there's lighting. And henceforth, came up with an idea about building a little frame and putting a lamp in there and started converting exit signs on my own. That was our first fixture, and then it just blossomed through there to the point where we sold it. We were cataloging close to 250 fixtures and about 300,000 combinations in which you could order it. And that's probably how I got into it, Mike, in the, sh in the shortest version. Wow. That's but a there were stumbles and everything, just like everything. It, 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 you know, sleeping in the car, the whole shot. You know, and, and that whole payphone venture was probably just a one big aside for you. You don't want to do too many of those in your lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> you really don't want to do too many. Yeah, we were in them in California, and then we got out of them. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we got out with our shirts. <laughs> you know, it comes up back to the point, you know, stick to something you reasonably know and understand. Um, because going into the payphone business at that time of my life was probably like, well, why don't you just go into farming? You know, I mean, from the city, never farm. You know what I mean? Okay, it makes, it makes sense, makes sense. Uh so, Dave, uh, let's take a, uh, a short break here, and uh, we'll be right back after we hear a couple of words from uh, David Sandler. This is, uh, I think it was recorded in 1984. Uh, he was talking to a group of Sandler trainers and uh, talking about the first few years of being in the business. My other goal, but this started back in 67, but I just reinforced it in 1984. I wanted to be with, with a group of people like you. Entrepreneurs, accidents, wanted to make money, wanted to make a contribution, wanted to help other people. You know, they said that couldn't be done. You're a living proof that that could be done sitting right in this room. You give yourselves a big hand. I wanted to be in a, in a, with an organization that really made a contribution to people. We were cleaning out our closets the other day, and we, I took down the Tony Robbins $179.50 course that we've never taken the cellophane off of. And Tony Robbins has a $10 million a month budget and a helicopter. But I don't think that helps a lot of people. And so, 
what I found out when I was selling these boxes for that Texas group was that I wanted to service people. I wanted people to get, take, to get advantage of what they were buying. And so I said to them, after I started to figure this thing out, after two or three years, I said, you know, let me give you the box of tapes free. And what I'm really going to sell you is why don't you come and visit me at the Holiday Inn? It happened to be this one. Why don't you come and visit me at the Holiday Inn every other Thursday night for the next year and let me make sure you're using what I sold you. And they did. And we used to have 250 people up the road here at the Marriott. This place, place couldn't handle it. We used to have 250 people every other Thursday night show up for training. And they brought 25 to 30 of their friends. And 90% of those people joined the President's Club. So you're living proof that this business can, can be multiplied. No question about that. Okay, this is Mike Roth and David Bellows. We're back. Before we go any further, David, I think I tell people about who's coming up tomorrow. We're going to have Glenn Serzinger from uh, Sure Thing Pest Control. Glenn is probably going to talk about bugs and how to grow the business with bugs. So if you're in the computer business, we're not talking about software bugs or hardware bugs. We're talking about multi-legged bugs. And uh, next week, we're going to have Martin Wilhelmy, who is a financial investment advisor at uh, UBS. He's going to be talking about what their perspective is on the economy and how to make profitable investments for us as individuals. The following day, on Friday the 22nd, we're going to have Dan Nyer, Nyer Construction. He's going to talk about the commercial real estate market. On the 28th, that's Thursday the 28th, we're going to have Walter Becker. He is a business broker. He specializes in selling small and medium-sized businesses here in the Cincinnati marketplace. He's been doing it for many years. And on June 29th, which is the last show before the 4th of July, we're going to have the weather guy in. We're going to have Richard Puzo from Sky Eye Weather. He was a weather broadcaster on Channel 19 for a lot of years, and the last few years he, he has developed his own company selling weather forecasting. Yes, David, a lot of people, let's say you're running uh, private air and you want to make sure you're planes are going to take off and land at the right time, or uh, when to tie your barges up on the river as opposed to letting them float down the river in a storm. Uh, so insurance companies are actually buying your services. Golf course is buying your services. Well, with that type of diversity, he should be able to weather the economy very well. But I'm bump. <laughs> I'll make sure he listens to the show. Uh Let's let's go back, David, and talk for a little bit about the process that you went through to decide to sell your business and what, sh what, what kind of problems and pitfalls should people who are either on the buy side or the sell side be thinking about. It's a good question, Mike. And, uh, first of all, anyone who started a business or took over a family business, rightfully so, becomes very emotionally attached to their business. So it's not just a pure business decision because it's, it's, it's also an emotional decision. Because after you sign the paper and the check gets in the bank, you, you're faced the next day when you get up and say, you go into there, into your bank electronically, and you look and say, wow. And then you can only look at that for so long, and then you go, God, 
what am I going to do? You know, it's funny you mention that. Because I sold my business in California before I moved here 20 years ago. And uh, my wife's transfer with Heinz was still six months away. And after a few days, I discovered I was a lousy house husband. And, you know, you can only screw down so many pictures to the wall with lag bolts for earthquakes <laughs> before that got boring. And I, I actually went to work for the Sandler trainers who had trained me. And I said to him, look, don't pay me anything, Harvey. I'll just do this because I need something to do. So exactly. what happened for you? What happened to me was that I still enjoyed, a, to this day, a very good working relationship with the company who purchased us. They knew, and it was disclosed, that I had other interests, uh, financing interest and uh, funding type interest, uh, other than my main business, which was lighting. But Mike, the real issue is that when you run a business, and especially because we were nationwide, the other entities were just things that were there. When you have your main business, you are totally consumed with it every single day. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you think about your business. You wake up and you you you, you wake up and you're saying, "How can I better serve my customers? How can I increase my sales? How can I get more product out the door? How how can I speed up my collections? How can I save money on purchasing? How, you know, how it, how can I beat my competition? Because in the lighting business, you know, if everyone looks up and looks at a fixture near how often does someone change it? So we had to be good in selling because the average sales cycle is once every 7 to 12 years, depending on what industry. So if we didn't close, that socket is out of play for seven years. So you're constantly thinking. Even today, you never stop thinking about it because I'm involved in the company, but not at the level that I was involved before. So I said, you know, I'm going to need something in case they ever decide, which I don't see why, that they will not need my consulting or expertise in order to keep me busy because I'm just too young to stop doing what I'm doing. So I always gravitated towards the financing because the, the art of the money um, of making money work for you and multiplying your, your money always fascinated to me the same way the way we grew was having sales agents paying them above average commissions so they would sell our line so that way you had a hundred people plus all the people who work for them maybe average a sales agency there's people with 50 and there's people with 20 and there's people with five so average sales agency 10 people times a hundred and four agencies let's say you have over a thousand people a day that could sell for you or pull out your book so 24 hours a day, someone was thinking about your product, and that multiplied your efforts. See, a mechanic has a disadvantage, Mike, because he can only work on so many cars with his hands. Mm-hmm. Usually one or two cars at a time. Exactly. A surgeon, a surgeon can only operate on one gentleman or one, one patient at a time. But if you, if you multiply your efforts in in sales and you do it right, you can multiply the amount of sales you can by having a product that will be handled through many hands. Mm-hmm. So the same thought occurred to me in, in, in the money business. So we expanded what we call um, re- receivable financing. Receivable financing. And we, we had already been doing it in in uh, prior to the sale in, in the lighting industry. A lot of people might and it's a dirty word. It has a bad connotation, but if people really think about it, call it factoring. 
Sure. You know, I ran into factoring in the in the old garment district in New York. It's it started in the 1700s in the garment in England. So factoring it's a it's a multi billion dollar industry, multi billion dollar industry, and people say, oh, it's gouging rates. No, but if a person uses any type of financing properly, there's there's an advantage to using it properly because it gets you somewhere you may not be able to go. And regardless if you're just starting out or you've been in business 100 years, everyone knows that capital is the lubricant of any business. Yep, you have to have enough money coming in every every week, every month to keep the business afloat. Not only that, Mike, you know, let's just say in a capital-intensive business, let's take, pick any industry. Let's just pick trucking. You know, you have costs that go on every single solitary day. You got fuel. Mm-hmm. You got maintenance. Right. You got driver every, payroll every single week. Drivers do like to get paid. You know, and it's just conti- tolls. Manufacturing. You got product you have to purchase every single day. You've you've got just a myriad from office supplies, let alone payroll, let alone taxes, let alone everything else that goes on. And sometimes because of growth, you find yourself in a spot where, oh, man, I'm at my credit line. The banks are tough right now. So what we do is give people another alternative than traditional bank financing, which is less restrictive and actually used properly is almost better than than, than bank traditional bank financing if utilized properly and done with a plan uh, an entrance plan and an exit plan well that, that's a great place to take a quick commercial break dave and we'll be right back after listening to uh this commercial Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth again with Dave Bellows. Dave, before we go any further, if someone wants to talk to you about this hard money lending, how do they get a hold of you? Let me uh, give you my uh, phone number, 513-454-3344. And let Dave know you heard on Cincinnati Business Talk. Absolutely. So now, Dave, let's continue from where we were, and you were telling telling our listeners that uh, it's how they use the money that's more important, and it's better than bank financing in okay. in many many respects. Yeah, that's where a lot of people get hung up on. It's it hard money. It's not really hard money lending. It's accounts receivable financing. So let's take for instance that you have 
a 25 or 30 percent profit in an invoice. Mm -hmm. Take whatever number in it. And let's say that a company like ours, Choice uh, Finance, Choice Funding, would Is that the name of the company? Choice Funding. Choice Funding. So let's, let's choice financial. Choice financial. Let's, let's take the example of a of a company in the asphalt business, and they have twenty percent margin in a project. Mm-hmm. And let's say it was a hundred thousand dollar invoice. A hundred thousand dollar invoice. And they know that they're going to have to wait. And there's twenty percent margin, right? Twenty percent margin. They're going to have to wait sixty days to get paid. Okay. What does that mean? So if there's twenty percent, they have to pay their people. There's twenty percent margin in it, right? Right. $100,000 invoice. Right. So there's $20,000 profit, right? Right. Okay. That they can't get their hands on. For 60 days, and then if something goes wrong with the job, the money could get held up, and in the meantime, they still have to pay for their material, or else they won't pick up their next load. They have to pay for their laborers, and they have to pay for their trucks, and all their other... And their fixed, fuel, and their office all their people. Fixed costs. Absolutely. Fixed costs that go on and on. So there's $20,000 profit. Let's say, because they're, of the type of industry there, there is, and the type of person, their debtor, who's going to pay the invoice to them, checks out very well. And we charge them 1% mm-hmm. okay, of the $100,000 per month. That equals 12% a year, right? How much did it cost them? Uh, with the calculator. So, of course, uh, 1% of $100,000 would be uh, 1000 right? $1,000. Times uh, two. Two, two months. Two thousand dollars to get the twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. So they're we would, we would we would advance them eighty percent of the money, hold back twenty percent to 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 let them to, to as a reserve, and so they would get an advance of eighty percent of their money mm-hmm. at one percent. Meanwhile, if they use their money right and they have their money instantly, they can maybe buy better their next load because they have it right there. They can take advantage of cash discounts. They could use it for a. There's too many things they could use it for because you get instant cash at a very reasonable rate. So people say, "Oh, that's exorbitant." Well, if your bank line is not accessible at that particular point in time, or you don't want to go to your bank for whatever reasons, once you use the line at the bank, you've used the line at the bank. There's no more. Right and. It's a little bit easier because one of the most one of everyone says inventory is an asset. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what my accountant says. Well, go try to sell it when you have to. If you have to go get a fire sale. Well, then you're at fire sale rates. Well, even if you're an industry, if you call your industry up, you never get dollar for dollar. You're lucky if you get fifty cents. Your receivable is one of the. Biggest assets a business has, Mike. Okay. Uh, it's an asset. So, so let's go through the mechanics of how that might work. Mm-hmm. Uh, a company's got a hundred thousand dollar invoice mm-hmm. to a. It, it could be fifty thousand. It could be twenty thousand. Okay, we just choose a hundred for round numbers. Totally legitimate, uh, uh, profitable, uh, publicly held company. Mm-hmm. So you know, eventually it'll get paid. You mean the people who? will be invoiced. That's correct. Yes, sir. Uh, what does the business owner do who wants to uh, get his money on this receivable? Does he bill them and tell them to pay your company, Dave? Oh. 
or, or does that's he have? Always, that's always like the stigma of the industry. Oh, I, I, I'm going to be afraid my customer is not going to think I'm I'm solid enough to do his business, or they're going to think less of me because I don't carry my own receivables. Well, fact, factoring, accounts receivable, financing has been done since the 1700s. People who are selling Walmarts, Costco, Sam's, just about Walgreens, they are so familiar with accounts receivable financing that it's a daily routine in today's industry. During the crisis when banks were even lending, it became even more prevalent. It's considered one of the preeminent financing methods right now for short-term financing because we're not financing credit scores. We're not financing if you went bankrupt. We're not financing anything. We're not looking at anything. We're making a decision based on the quality of the company that you're invoicing and the quality of your company and the services you provide, where the bank is looking at you for the last three years, and then you're going to have to sign away your life in order in order to... A lot of personal guarantees in per, there. Personal David. guarantee. And uh, if you... And it still may not be available. So if you have a good, solid invoice, which is one of your biggest assets in your business, that's how the process works. We look at it, we say it's good, and we fund. It's as simple as that. So does the uh, end user pay the original company, or do they pay choice? The, The invoice... The receivable comes pay and doable to choice funding. They can send it with the company's name to our lockbox. Most people make it out to choice, but we we have an agreement that we're able to cash your checks. Our lockbox can take a multiple different amount of uh, uh, company names to um, to be able to cash that. The day it hits our lockbox and the fun, funds clear, we pay you back the uh, reserve less the fees. Okay, so it's kind of like a, a daily accounting for every accounts day, receivable. Every single day. And plus we take the the business, the hassle of managing your accounts receivable off your shoulders, go out and sell more jobs. So does a company have to uh, uh, send all of their accounts receivable to you, or could they keep the accounts that they believe are going to you know, pay that's right a great, That's a great question, and thanks for bringing that up, Mike. That's a really good question. No, you can pick and choose. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. Uh, we will notify, you know, obviously the debtor mm-hmm. that the, that they must sign off that that, and we verify that the payables will be changed. The minute you don't want to do it, there's no long-term contract. It's a short-term way to build your business without indebting yourself or personally guaranteeing anything to other lending institutions. So this is something that you started. Uh, while you still owned yes. uh, Toronto Lighting. Yes, and we did it for people inside the lighting industry who we were familiar with with the invoicing. So and now we knew their credit histories. So now that you've sold the business, you're taking this uh, accounts receivable financing to other industries and other businesses. We are definitely looking at the other industries, but we believe we stick with what we know and we've expanded into other man we like manufacturing businesses mm-hmm. we, uh, because we understand manufacturing we 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 like people who provide services uh for instance like the temporary help services industry who have payroll every single week who who have slow pay customers 
we look at just about any industry, and if we understand it, we are aggressive enough but prudent enough not to make a, a hasty decision but relatively a quick decision if we want to be involved. And so, it's like any other it's like any other financial transaction, Mike. The same way that you look at your business, a lot's based on the character of the people you're doing business with. Absolutely. You know, because you could they say what what do they say? Hell is paid with the best intentions. Mm-hmm. So what 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 we look at is where they are today, who they're invoicing, and sort of get very personal. What's fun about it is that you're very personal with the principles of the company, and you get involved in their business in a personal way, and you're able to really take a monkey off their back because all of a sudden they're not worried about their uh, receivable. You know, that's a whole department. You can out- It's almost like outsourcing the worst part of the business. You know, until you get paid, it's a gift. Right. So meanwhile, so- you're getting paid immediately, Mike. So if, so if they had a lady over there who was doing collections before, uh, that person is not as important, same as before? It depends or? on how much. There's one company who we work with where we do 100% of their outstanding invoices, mm-hmm. receivables. Well, You they, take over collections too? Well, we bought the invoice. It's our job to collect. Okay. Okay. We do have certain accounts after 90 days comes out of their reserve. It's depending on it's called re, uh, recourse and non-recourse. Most of ours is recourse mm-hmm. because let's say the product was manufactured wrong. Right. That's no fault of ours, or the job went bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we're assuming that. What happens when someone goes out of business that that had an outstanding invoice to? Okay, depending if it's recourse or non-recourse. Oh, yeah, I but, see. but we do enough diligence um, on the front end to to try to eliminate that pitfall. But no one knows what you know. It's no one knows because tomorrow, someone who you would never thought would would close their door. Who knew GM was going to go bankrupt? No, or who knew that. There was going to be a tsunami in Japan, and the businesses that were there, that were good businesses, all of a sudden don't exist anymore. When Montgomery Wards and everybody, I'm not sure if they, you know, in the Midwest, that was a big chain store, went bankrupt. When Sears Catalog went out of business, who knew? Didn't. Didn't. So how are you going to market? Are you using salespeople? Are you using agents like you did in the uh, lighting business? Right now. Luckily, but unluckily, because it's a bad sales model, but it's the best sales model, depending on which side you look at. We've been blessed with 99.9% of our business has been referral. Wow, that's a great place to be. 90, but, you know, it, word of mouth is like the best form of advertising, Mike. But you know the old story in sales? 99, I got 100 customers, 99 of them loved me. It's that one that I did, whatever I did, he never forgets. And that guy spreads more problems than the 99 of them. Like, you know, word of mouth is great, but it's slow. The good is slow, but the bad. So we're looking now, we're we're at the level where, you know, we want to say, okay, what's the best way to grow the business strategically, but in a very thoughtful manner because we are in the business 
of providing capital to industry. Now, are you specifically looking for companies in uh, clients of the Cincinnati marketplace? Uh, we do pretty much look at, we have a, our portfolio is really, um, I would say, throughout the country. Diverse. Oh, okay. Cincinnati-based companies are always our preference because we're here. So if you're listening in Austin, Texas, and you want to uh, finance your accounts receivable invoicing, Dave is your guy. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. You'll do business in Texas. If it's a good match for both people. You know, it, it's something that it, everyone has to feel comfortable with and, and go from there, Mike. It really is. It's a, it, that's what makes it interesting. What do you think of the uh, the outlook looks like for your type of business and business in general? What do you see as the possibilities? You know, if you want to take it to every extreme and we could start start looking at what's going on with Europe and the banks and if there's a run on banks and banks tighten up because there's a contagion here, you could say the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Same thing that happened if banks shut down. Now, if they loosen up the money supply and the banks go out and lend, okay, in my opinion, it will never be as liberal of loaning that it was that we saw before pre-crash. Mm-hmm. Banks will, rightfully so, will adhere to covenants. So ratios, like the old days, when you, when, when you got approved for your credit line, you know, you were sweating every night, are they going to approve? Because they really took a good look at your business and you met certain ratios and, you, the, of course, the character and everything took precedent over everything, but the amount of regulations that are going to be placed on the um, business in order to get a loan and the amount of personal guarantees, you know, bodes well for alternative short-term accounts receivable financing or other financing, you know what I mean, until you get squared away with a multitude of banks. Mm-hmm. So it looks good. It's not going away. It's not going away. Right. Do you see the economy picking up? Staying level or going down? Well, short term, medium term, and then long term. I think instead of going short term, medium term, and long term, look at it this way. What's holding business back, in my opinion, is uncertainty. We don't know if if we're going to be paying higher taxes at the first of the year, we don't know what our health care costs are. We don't we, we don't know if expensing 100% expensing is going to expire. Um, there's just a there's a myriad of uncertainty. So if our government could get their act together and remove that myriad of uncertainty, I am positive the stock market would go up. <laughs> Business would start spending money because they they know what the game is all about, and you know. Being in business, just like everyone else who's listening, and, and Mike, you could speak probably volumes on it. Once everyone understands the game, us guys here in the United States, we can, we figure it out. <laughs> yeah, once the rules of the game are fixed. We, under, we figure it out. We play the game. Exactly. So no one's sure how to play the game. So I think short-term, long-term, and medium-term, it's hard to say because we don't know how, how to play the game. Right. I, I, I think I what, what I see... Dave, is a lot of companies are investing in their people, training their people, uh, moving forward, who were on the sidelines two years ago. Um, in fact, I, I'd even say it's tremendous change. Tremendous right. change over the last uh, 
Well, you know, Mike, 30, the, big, days. the biggest reason that people fail in their job, the absolute biggest reason, is they they don't understand what's expected of them. Mm-hmm. And, and when and good training gives you good expectation of what is expected of you. Because the cost of acquisition of an employee is not not inexpensive anymore. Mm-hmm. So you go through this big process of trying to find the right person, the right fit, in the right environment, and then you go, I made a great hire. And then it's like it's done. You know what I mean? And then you give them the book to read. You send them out with a guy. You know, you know what I mean? But you really don't get to know the guy. Well, or, or train him properly. The guy or the lady. I mean, we, we, we had that case uh, yesterday. Uh, guy hires a, a new employee and is hesitant on pulling the trigger to, to get her trained. Sure as you're sitting there, Dave, I can guarantee you that 60 days down the road, that lady is probably going to be someplace else because she wasn't trained. She and didn't have also, the early success that she's looking for. And it's also... Um, Maybe not even 60 days. Maybe right away the frustration starts setting in. Mm-hmm. And, and Let's talk some more about that after a short break, Dave. Sure. Let's, let, let's listen to a, a Sandler rule. Today we're going to start with uh, rule number 11. Hi, this is Matthew Newberger with Sandler Training, and I'm here to share Sandler rule number 11, money does grow on trees. Now, if you were to think conceptually for a second, there are three main components to this. One is, is you have to grow your referral network so you don't start from scratch every time you want to develop a client. Two, you have to build branches onto your referral tree. And third, you have to water that tree to keep it healthy. So, the reality today is that it is really hard to start the sales process over and over again from scratch. And there really is a better way. Most of us know it, we just don't follow it. So if you can imagine for a second taking a piece of paper, drawing a vertical line down the center and putting a horizontal line at the bottom, this would be the base of your tree. Every time you add a client, you are adding a branch to that tree. Each branch can sprout more branches. This becomes your referral tree. Somebody who's a professional at what they do understands the simple concept that every time they add a customer, they ask that customer for a referral. And when they get that referral, the next thing they do is they make sure that they take that referral from cool to warm based on their relationship with their existing customer. They take that opportunity, they close that opportunity, they ask for another referral. They take that referral build off the relationship with the client and take that referral opportunity from cool to warm to hot. It's actually something that's really great to see. You watch this tree blossom and you watch this salesperson blossom as well into a very mature professional salesperson. Remember, money does grow on trees. Referral trees. This is Mike Roth with uh, Dave Bellows. Dave, welcome back. I've got a question for you, Dave. You were trained in Sandler probably in 1980? No. 70, 
1967. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he was talking about earlier in the show. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
before you leave here today, I'm going to give you one of the the old Sandler vintage programs. Oh, really? Recorded in 1977. Wow. Here in Cincinnati. Uh, is it on CD or? On DVD. D- perfect. It's not not a movie. It's DVD yeah, right. audio. Right. But it's so it's remastered. It's, it's, it's remastered. Yeah. Uh, excellent audio quality. Wow. Uh, this is the the one that was recorded originally here in Cincinnati. This this is the the lost Sandler tapes. For those of you who want a copy of the of that DVD or, or any of the vintage Sandler programs, call me here in the office at seven five three ninety four hundred. We can get those into your hands because you really should be listening to Sandler in your car, whether you're driving for 20 minutes or two hours. And actually, when you listen to um, audios, it really takes your mind into a different dimension, and 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 it, it's insightful. It it it's 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 uplifting. It's at least for me, it's motivating. It's you know to. And this is going to sound put on and, and corny, but you know, over the long weekend, my family and I we went up to Chicago to see some old friends and everything. So we actually took two cars because my son has his friends, and he just came back from the army, and he, he wanted this, so he drove, and then my wife and I drove and switched. So when I on the way home, my son said, "I'm going to go visit this friend in Indianapolis." He just took one car, so my wife and I drove back, and she was. She was like in and out sleeping, so I had my uh, my CDs of all these of all these um, compiled of mm-hmm. all these motivational. So I started putting it on, and I started listening to an old Sandler um, version of, of um, where the pain is. Mm-hmm. And then I that and then it went into an Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret, and that and and then it went into. A Dennis Waitley, which I always listen to about, he has these things called sometime I'll like sometime I'll, I'll be a I'll go back to school or sometime I'll I'll, I'll uh, lose weight. You know what I mean? And right. Because there's all you know, Mike. You know, in life there's always reasons and results. Most people have a reason for not doing something, but that you get judged on results. Let's get some results. You know, you get, let's get results. So you're listening to this tape on the thing, and I'm hearing, I, I probably listened to this a hundred times, and I'm hearing this stuff for the first time in a while, and I'm saying, boy, I never heard that. So when you listen to something, you could listen to Sandler over and over, or a lot of these guys over and over again, and pick up something every single time, different, or, or, or how to apply something. And, God, that five-hour ride went like, you know, it's a snap of the fingers. Right. I had a, a ride like that yesterday. When you're when you're listening to uh, a Sandler track that you've listened to before, probably three, four, five times before, all of the entertainment value is gone. Once you get rid of the entertainment value and you're listening to the content, you'll hear things you didn't hear before yeah. because your mind was distracted. Or B, you'll begin to tie up what Sandler is saying in the reality of the role play you might be listening to to the Sandler rules. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, gee whiz, there he's using Sandler rule four. Mm-hmm. Or there he's using Sandler rule one. Or there's that pre-qualifier mm-hmm. that, that stepped in there. Or And you know what, Mike, to be frank about it, it takes two or three listens before you even get it. Well, it takes two or three listens to get rid of the entertainment value, and then you have to get to the real content. Right. Every track is 
was assembled on the programs that way. Uh, every track in Best of Sandler was assembled that way. Uh, these new releases of vintage programs, which have never been available before, are are really fantastic because uh, the content uh, for the uh, the the two day program was uh, unusual in that we we were given two unique copies that Sandler did for the same company on two different days in two different cities. Originally, 21 audio tapes. Um, and then they were edited down. They had to remove a few of the expletives. Uh, uh, you remember the story that Sandler tells Nancy and the Seagull? In one of the two originals, he uses the real name of the girl from the state of California. Really? Yep. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's not on the released vintage tapes, but uh, it, it, it's a good program. Uh, I like to ask people this, this one question, Dave. Uh, we have a thesis that uh, actually it started when I was in the payphone business in Las Vegas when the payphones were overheating. Hmm. And uh, Ours never did, Mike. That's right. It, just, it, may, it may not have completed the call properly, but it did overheat. Yeah, ours ours overheated in Vegas in the phone booth. So I told uh, Steve, my engineer, to uh, cut some holes in the back of the phone booth, put a fan in. And he was a physicist. And Steve said to me, Mike, simple solutions to complex problems are rarely right. Let me diagnose it, find out what the real issue is, and then we'll solve the real issue to solve the problem, which I finally agreed to after the fans didn't work. (laughs) And... uh, so maybe you could tell the audience about a complex problem that you solve, either in the current business or in the lighting business, and the complex solution of theory of operation that you use that may, they may be able to translate into their world. That's an interesting question. And to be frank, I am not a complex guy. In my opinion, A degree in CS, common sense, usually can solve the most complex problem there is. Uh, It's it's really looking at and saying, what's fair to both concerns? You know, in order to get something done, what does it really take where both sides benefit? Because it's just like negotiation. If you're going to go in and not be able to give anything and just expect to get, it's not a fair negotiation, and it makes the negotiation more complex than it has. You know, when if a guy's legitimately prospected properly and the guy's legitimately been, uh, the prospect's legitimately been qualified and you have the legitimate right to be sitting across from him, qualified as a prospect, you have a product or a service that someone's willing to buy, then it's up to you to find a way, simple, way for him to buy because most people want to buy they just don't want to be sold <laughs> i think that's a that's a good wrap-up statement dave uh and uh i'm gonna ask you one last question uh i know you've you've gone over to china many times to buy uh products for your lighting mm-hmm. business and others uh perhaps you might think about coming back in a month or two and telling folks about how to buy products in china that's interesting because uh, we started going over in 1999. 
company our size, it was almost unheard of. Most of it were, uh, you know, like these large companies over in 99. And China was open for a long time by then, but our size company, what are you doing over there? And, uh, you know, you don't speak in. It's it's interesting because how it's evolved. You don't speak much Mandarin? Um, no. Uh, we it, It's a funny story because uh, there's a gentleman named Tim Chung. You talk about salesmanship. Mm-hmm. One day in a fax machine, I get a fax. Uh, I am a Chinese sorcerer. I'm in Houston right now seeing some people. If you'd like to know about China, contact me. My thought was, anybody who wants to send this out, he's got to either be really bad or really good. He's worth a telephone call. You know what I mean? So you gave him a call. I gave him a call. He says, I will come and see you. I go, where are you? He goes, I'm in Houston. He goes, I love driving the American roads. <laughs> love driving the American roads. He goes, I'll be, it's just like a Thursday. He's there two days later in my office or whatever. You know, shows up, Tim Chung, he goes, you want to go to China? What are you looking for? I'm going, I'm looking for parts. He goes, fine. The only way you go to China to learn China is you've got to go to China. Mm-hmm. He goes, here's my deal. And to this day, I talk to him at least once, twice a week. The company who acquired us keeps them on, on their payroll. And uh, I'm going over, by the way, on the 5th. Mm-hmm. He will be there. He speaks for you. He negotiates for you. And it's just been a wonderful experience over a fax machine, you know, that started on a letter. And when I say millions of dollars, not thousands, but millions of dollars has transpired since 99 with what what he's brought to us. It's really that type of relationship and not a hiccup. But going over there unprepared, it's fraught with uh, black boxes. Black boxes. A box of rocks, even that you may show up at your door. You know. Oh, you you, you bought a and no, you got a box. If if you go over there and, and you think you're buying computer mice when they get get to America. You know, we could talk. There's a whole show on uh, Chinese, but what you want to do is you really want to get to the source. You got to you know, it's who's a trading company and who's not a trading company, and who's really the manufacturer, and it's finding out. The manufacturer and developing what the Chinese call guanxi, which means a warm relationship. And, and once the guanxi is developed, they're great people, great to do business with. Sounds like a great subject for a whole show, Dave. And some good food. Ah, uh, yes, food. Dave, thanks for coming on the show it's today. A pleasure, Mike. It's always good to see you, by the way. And I'll take those uh, Sandler uh, retro tapes, by the way. Okay. Thanks for coming, Dave. Okay. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.